This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. The New Adventures of Nero Wolf is a 1950 American radio drama series starring Sidney Greenstreet as Rex Stout's fictional armchair detective Nero Wolfe. What do we know about this genius detective? Well, he lives in a luxurious brownstone on West 35th Street in New York City and is loath to leave his home for business or anything that would keep him from reading his books, tending his orchids, or eating the gourmet meals prepared by his chef Fritz Brenner. Archie Goodwin... Wolf's sharp-witted, dapper young confidential assistant with an eye for attractive women narrates the cases and does the legwork for the detective genius. Stout wrote 33 novels and 41 novellas and short stories from 1934 to 1975, most of them set in New York City. Rex Stout was a nominee for Best Mystery Writer of the Century. And now the episode entitled Calculated Risk. Ladies and gentlemen, the ringing of that phone bell means mystery, adventure. Nero Wolf's office, Archie Goodwin speaking. Mr. Wolf? Yeah, he's right here. Who's this? Archie, hang up. Don't ask questions. You, uh, you have a what? Archie, it's past your bedtime. Well, I'm afraid, Mr. Wolf, uh, it's past his bedtime. Your bedtime. It's a client, boss. That's what I was afraid of. Foolish. Hello? Hello? Well, why do you look so bewildered? He's coming right over. He says he's got a date with murder. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the detective genius who rates the knife and fork, the greatest tools ever invented by man. The ponderous, brilliant, and unpredictable Nero Wolf, Created by Rex Stout and brought to you in a new series of adventures over this NBC network in the person of Mr. Sidney Greenstreet. Tonight's story, The Case of the Calculated Risk, was as strange and baffling as any Nero Wolf had to deal with. It started late one night when a big-shouldered man sporting a reddish beard and billing himself as Dave Caffrey pushed his way in, walked up to Nero Wolf's desk, and rocked him with this opener. Tomorrow morning, Mr. Wolf, I'm going to kill a man. I beg your pardon, sir? I'm going to kill a man with these two hands. I've been told strange things across this desk, Mr. Caffrey. This is the first time a murderer has confided his intention to me in advance. This man you speak of... I'm not telling you his name. I'm not telling you where I'm going to meet him. The session tomorrow is going to be private and personal. But if anything happens to me between now and then, I want you to take over. 
Mr. Gaffrey, do you seriously think I could assist you in a matter of private vengeance? That's not what I'm asking. This guy deserves to die. I plan to kill him with these two hands, me, myself. But if I slip up, if he gets me first, I want you to see that justice is done. But I assure you, sir... I told you this guy deserves to die. Let me tell you why. Years ago, down south, there were three men in business together, partners. Me and two others. You're no Bugarchi, if Mr. Gaffrey doesn't mind. You're wasting your time, Wolf. The names I'll use will be phony. I won't give you anything you can check back on. We'll take our chance, sir. Please proceed. It happened in a town about 40 miles from the place where we had our business. We'd gone there to collect some money, the three of us. Carl, Mitch, and me. Dave Caffrey. But all we collected was bad news. So bad that Carl hadn't even given our right names at the hotel. Said he was scared some of our creditors would come hitting up on us for what we owed. Three of us had had some drinks, and we'd been pacing around for nearly an hour. I can still remember the way Mitch stood and looked at me. And then up at Carl, when Carl suddenly pulled to a stop and came out with this idea of his. So, Dave, we've got 6,000 cash on hand. You counted it, Mitch. Well, didn't we make it 6240, Carl? Whichever. We've got this 6,000 odd, plus some slow accounts receivable against debts of 38,000. With three of us trying to live from the business, we haven't got a chance. Well, we ain't got much of a one, Carl, but... It's hopeless, Dave. With two partners, though. Two partners? You reckon on pulling out, Carl? I say we cut cards for it, Mitch. Low man drops out. Break up the partnership? After sticking together all these years? Now, wait a minute, Dave. Wait a minute. Maybe Carl's right. Maybe this could work. Carl, you mean the low man drops out clean? Right now? Right now, Mitch. Other two to take over assets and debts and see if they can get this thing back in the black. Okay, Carl. Get the cards out. Dave? Well, that's what you guys want. Okay, then. Here's a new deck. Shuffle them, Mitch. All shuffled. Cut them, Dave. Go ahead, Mitch. You get first pick. Spread them if you like. Here goes. Star ah, six. Your turn, Dave. Okay. Nine o'clock. Oh, lucky guy, Dave. That puts you in uh, whatever car pulls. I'll pull it fast. There she is. Denise. Sorry, Mitch. That leaves you elected. Well, Mitch, I'm sorry, too. I guess we all had a fair whack at it, but... Uh... Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let me see that ace again, Carl. Easy, Mitch. I said I was sorry, Look, but... Look, Dave. Yeah, what is it, Mitch? All the aces are marked. <laughs> Carl, I'm gonna cram this dick right down your crooked throat. Oh, Look out, Mitch. He's got a knife. Sure. Oh... Carl, you... All right. I've cut him for keeps. What do we do now? What do we do? Look, Carl, I, I didn't mark those cards. I, I didn't kill Mitch. And what's more... Shut I... up, Dave. We're both in and out now. Come on. Let's get out of here. Now what, Carl? Look, Dave. This is where we split up. Two men together, easy to trace. You head one way, I go the other. Yeah, but the door, I, I got no money. Here, I'll split up the 6,000. This is your head. Here, stick the envelope in your pocket. Now, grab that tray. Get set. I'll catch the next one going the other way. Get going, Dave. And that's how it was, Mr. Wolf. 
It all happened so fast that I... Mm, this man you call Carl, <laughs> he would seem to be one of the world's choice creatures, Mr. Geffrey. When I thought to look in that envelope he gave me, I found $40 and a few folds of wrapping paper in it. I was mad enough to... Well, I got off the freight and intended to go back, but... Then I picked up a paper. And read all about the murder of your friend Mitch with the statement that Carl had accused you of the crime and that the police believed him in view of your escape. That's it. Classical, but not at all original. Well, I was young then and stupid. I'd had those drinks to start with. And you spent the intervening years hunting down the man Carl, am I correct? Yeah. I tramped the country from east to west, from north to south. Tramped it for years, searching for him. And yesterday, I located him. He's a big wheel these days up on that 37th floor of his. But tomorrow when I get... Yes, Mr. Caffrey, the 37th floor of... Never mind what building. Now, wait a minute, Caffrey. If you expect Mr. Wolf to help you... I don't want him to help me. I'll help myself. But if I slip off, I know Wolf's reputation well enough to know that he'll never rest till this, this rotten, chiseling murderer is sitting in the chair. That's why I've come here. Just to provide a backstop in case my dear friend of long ago manages to get the best of me. How will we know? You see this envelope? Read what it says. Nero Wolf, 601 West 35th Street, New York. Delivered to him in case of my death. That's right. And this envelope was $500. Nearly all I've got in the world. Along with it, the full details on that knife. Real names, dates. The proof you'll need in case I don't finish it up. Go on. Tonight, Mr. Wolf, I'm going to give this envelope to the manager of the hotel where I'm stopping. I'm calling on, well, Carl... Tomorrow at noon, right after his secretary goes to lunch. If I'm not back in my hotel at one o'clock tomorrow afternoon, the hotel manager will deliver this envelope to you. Is that clear? Perfectly. But you don't think I'm going to allow you to go through with this wire plan, do you? You can't stop me. And don't have Goodwin follow me. I'd lose him in two blocks. Good night. Shall I try to tail him, boss? It's no use, Archie. Get Inspector Kramer on the phone at once. I want the police to help us head off this murder. Nero Wolf speaking. It's Archie. I'm calling from the morgue. And? They found Caffrey's body in a subway washroom, mugged and stabbed. Wallet gone, pockets cleaned out, no envelope. Just two hours ago, he was here. No envelope, eh? Gone. Witnesses? None so far. Homicide's calling it straight mugging and robbery. As it well might look, except for... Except for a guy named Carl. How much do I tell Kramer? All of it. Ask the inspector to start queries throughout the South on the original killing. The original killing? Look... It's our best chance of getting a description of the man called Carl. The original killing and the partnership. Starting from, say, eight years ago and working back to the middle twenties. Tell him to concentrate on towns on railway lines. Putting out pictures of Caffrey and... Pictures and dentistry. Fingerprints to Washington... Kramer will know. And if I come across a haystack, do I keep my eye out for needles? We are going to find Carl, Archie. We are going to find him if it takes him now till doomsday. Mr. Wolf, let's face it, we're licked. Licked, Archie? Three days now. We found Caffrey's hotel here in New York. No traceable phone calls. Not a witness has turned up on that subway washroom party. And Kramer says he's getting nowhere with those answers from the Southland. The original story is bound to come slowly, Archie. We are asking a check on the unsolved killings of a dozen states over a 20-year period. Mm. 
Then what now? You start trudging, Archie. Trudging? Through office buildings, through 37th floors of many office buildings. You keep trudging till we find him. Oh, now, wait a minute, Mr. Wolf. This is a big city, remember? I might have to go through hundreds of buildings. This morning, Archie, the municipal reference library informed me that there are exactly 34 buildings of 37 floors or higher in Manhattan. Now, when you rule out the United Nations building, hotels Okay, okay. Maybe not so many 37 floors, but lots of offices per floor. Maybe 40 or 50. Call it 30 times 40 and you've still got uh, uh, 1,200 to start with. And you don't know what kind of business, you don't know what Carl's real name is, you don't even know what he looks like. There could be 4,000 men like him. 4,000 affluent men, Archie? Yeah, well, all right. (laughs) Caffrey said he was in the chips, though. You know, for a guy who'd been bumming around, that could mean anything from 10 grand a year up. Say, wait a minute, that cuts your field to 1,000. 1,000 tall men? Tall? I've been over those notes. Caffrey didn't say he was tall. As plainly as you could ask. Caffrey was almost your height, but he said Mitch stood and looked at me. And then he looked up at Carl. Up, Archie. That makes Carl your height or taller. Yeah. Well, maybe Caffrey and Mitch were sitting down and Carl was... uh... Caffrey told us the three were standing at the time. Check your notes. I've studied them. Okay. Maybe that does cut it down some. Yeah, it's still a lot of citizens that start checking for a southern accent. Don't rely on accent, Archie. Carl has had many years to lose any accent he might have had. Yeah, that's true. And so we narrow it, Archie. A man almost surely tall. A man not using the name he was born with. A man with an unexplained gap in his past. I ought to be able to reach right out and tap him. You go skeptical again, Archie. Well, it's still a pretty big haystack. Let's see if we can't trim it some more. On these building lists I've been going over, I've ruled out for now the members of professions requiring lengthy formal training. Medical men, lawyers, scientists of most kinds. Yeah, that's chopping it down. I'll admit that. I'll have further eliminations as we get into it. And I'm putting soil pans on a second list this afternoon. Some of the credit references I'll handle by phone. So I start trudging, huh? You start trudging. And remember, Archie, since you'll probably be operating through secretaries, you're looking for a murderer named Carl, not for a new set of telephone numbers to brighten your winter. Tall? I don't know what you're peddling, Goodwin, but if my boss put his elevator shoes on and stood on a box... He'd still be down somewhere around my necktie. If he stood on his money, though, we'd need a helicopter to get up near his shoelaces. Oh, Miss Jonas, do you mind if I sit down? Why, of course not, Mr. Goodwin. Oh, thanks. You know, I've been in 12 offices on this floor, and you're the first girl who's seen the importance of this survey first crack out of the box. (laughs) Well, I'm sort of new here, and and I try to pay attention. Oh, you're not just beautiful. You've got a head on you. Is Mr. McLean in? Well, he's at lunch right now. Lunch? Oh, that reminds me. Know any good restaurants up this way? Well, I was just going to the downstairs drugstore myself, but I wouldn't say that... Well, come on. Put your bonnet on, and let's skip the (laughs) drugstore. This meal is on the Executive Resources Survey. boss, the boil down. Tinsley, McLean, Fernandes, Tessero, and Kaplan. 
All five of them tall, all five a little misty in the background. You and Saul have done well, Archie. Very well. But I'm crossing off Fernandes and Kaplan. Why? The credit bureau report clears Fernandes, and Kaplan was on a special war job. The FBI x-rayed his record twice. Leaving J.P. Tinsley, Carson McLean, and Philip Tesro, huh? I'd like to see all three here, Archie. Get them here one way or another. And so you do admit that Tinsley isn't your real name? Mr. Wolf, are you a blackmailer or what? I'm a licensed private investigator, sir. Any disclosure you make will be kept in confidence, provided it doesn't touch on the case I'm engaged on. You haven't said what the case is. I don't intend to. If you prefer to explain this mysterious gap in your background at the district attorney's office... Well, I'm using the name Tinsley because I've got an undivorced first wife out on the coast. We broke up 20 years ago, but uh, she said she'd see to it that I never married again. And she knew where I was today. Well, I I don't say I'm a saint, but uh, she's a vindictive woman. I see. May I have names, dates, and places starting 1924? I can't quite understand your interest, Mr. Wolf. It's rather complicated, to put it briefly, Mr. McLean. I'm working in the interest of a client. Our people have found this puzzling gap in your background, and I'd appreciate such clarification as you may be able to supply. But I told you, Mr. Goodwin, I was raised and educated in the Orient. Until 32, I was in business with my father in China. Where you say your father died? Died. With the Depression, I returned to New York, started this importing business in a small way, weathered through the early 30s, and I think my bankers can assure you of my standing today. They've done so. Carson, McLean, and company has an excellent credit rating. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. To switch somewhat abruptly, Mr. McLean, would you happen to remember how you spent the evening of the 19th? Of this month? Of this month. Well, I could hardly... Wait. You say the 19th. Would that have been on a Tuesday? Yes, it was Tuesday. Now, that simplifies it. I'm nearly always at the office on Tuesday nights dictating the revisions in our weekly wholesalers' lists. Let me see... Yes, I was there on the 19th. Had a tray sent in. Miss Tunis and I worked till just after midnight. Miss Helen Tunis. The secretary Mr. Goodwin spoke of. She's been with me for two or three months. Miss Tunis can confirm this dictation on the night of the 19th? Of course. And Mr. Wolf, your manner is so persuasive that I'd scarcely realize you're asking some extraordinary searching questions. May I ask why in the world you... If you'll indulge me, Mr. McLean, my prying is nearly concluded. You say you were in China until 1932. Mr. Tesro, I'll be brutally frank. We know that your name's not Tesro. And we know that you served a prison term from 34 to 38 for arson. I'd like some straight answers. I didn't say I wouldn't answer your questions. The past can remain your own, provided... Now, look, Mr. Wolf, I've been going straight for 12 years. And this business of mine is on the level. Now, if this is a shakedown... Or... I'm asking where you were on the night of the 19th. And I'm telling you I stayed in town. I ate alone. And I went to a movie. I caught the 11.35 for Stanford. And that's all there is to it. You're denying that you were ever in business in the South? I was born in the South, but I haven't been back there since I was a kid. What about the arson? I put in four years squaring for that mistake. 
Let's start again, Mr. Tesro. You say you were in Cincinnati in 1931. Okay, Mr. Wolf, three candidates, and we're still on the one-yard line. Our one-yard line. Tessero McLean Tinsley. No, no, rule out McLean. He gave references enough for those years in China. And with Helen Tunis, he's got the one firm alibi we've laid on to. Caffrey was killed before midnight. With conditions as they are in the Far East, Archie, it'll be weeks before cables came back on McLean's claims. Uh, claims? You figure the whole Chinese background's a fake? I want you to see Miss Tunis again, Archie. Taking all precautions for her safety. And this is one time I give you permission to ply her with all the attentions you can contrive. <laughs> Are we far enough to pull tails on any of these three? I've got Saul Pans on, Tesro. And Saul promised to have men on Tinsley and McLean. Pictures of the three have gone to Kramer for circulation in the south. No. No answer yet from the coast on Tinsley, huh? Not yet. For the moment, Archie, you'll concentrate on Helen Tunis. Helen, I've got to see you tonight. I'd love to, Archie, Now, look, but... Helen, I phoned you to come out in the corridor this way because I didn't want McLean to know we're talking. Do you still say you got that new mink coat on your own money? Mr. Goodwin, I don't know what right you Helen, have Helen, if you to... get five guys to buy your stuff, it's your business, Mr. But... McLean said his wife might be detectives around. But you can go right back to your old Mrs. McLean and tell easy, her that I... Easy, Helen, easy. He was dictating to me. You know, baby, the harder you lie, the prettier you look. <laughs> but if this is a fake alibi, and if you keep propping it up, you're going to find yourself in trouble. Bad trouble. Now, how about it? Do I see you at your apartment tonight, or would you rather come down with me to Nero Wolf's right now? Archie, I... All right, I can't go with you now, and I've got a dinner date with my aunt tonight that I can't break, but I'll try to be back at my apartment by 11. Archie! Nero Wolf's being... Archie, Mr. Wolf, I'm at Helen Tunis's apartment. Well? I could cut my throat for not making her come with me this afternoon. Trouble? Not for her anymore, poor kid. I got here three minutes ago and found her strangled. Couldn't have happened more than half an hour ago. McLean. McLean. Didn't Saul Panzer say he was getting a tail on him? He was a new man and he lost him. I should have left you on McLean, Archie. Yeah, we were both wrong. What do you want me to do? Phone the police immediately. This is 32nd Street. I'm only three blocks in a job from the office. What if I come back and call from there? Come back, then. I'll phone Kramer myself. Mr. Wolf, I'm still kicking myself for that. Look out, Archie. Too late, Mr. Wolf. Keep coming right in, Goodwin. With your hands up. No, I wouldn't try that. McLean. And keep your hand out of that desk drawer, Wolf. This time you're too late, McLean. My hand's in the drawer, and I think I'll leave it there. You don't think I'd shoot? I'm sure you would. But you've got two of us to cover now. No, Archie, don't try to draw yet. How'd you get in here, McLean? He surprised me after making his way in through the area way below, and of course, it had to be Fritz's night out. I caught your fat friend just two seconds before he could get in his call to the police, Goodwin. I overheard his talk with you from the hallway here. My apologies for not crying out sooner, Archie. Get your hand out of that drawer. Pull it out without the gun, Wolf, or I'll let you have it now. I refuse to, McLean. Seems obvious that you mean to kill us in any case. I'm afraid that's true, Wolf. But when you called me here and Goodwin started making dates with Helen Tunis... Poor kid, I told her not to talk to you. She didn't, Goodwin. 
I've been scared of you and Wolf since I followed Colby here that first night. Colby? You knew him as Caffrey. I caught up with him afterward in that subway washroom. No. Keep that hand up. And watch that gun of yours, Wolf. When I found that envelope on him and read the letter to you contained in it, I knew he hadn't spilled the whole South Carolina story to you. South Carolina? Would the original knifing have been taking place anywhere near Hampton or Jasper County? Hampton County. But our business is over the line in Georgia. Doesn't matter now. Uh, pity, Archie, we learned this afternoon that we were growing warm on South Carolina. Mr. McLean, may I ask what you hope to achieve by this insane project of disposing of Mr. Goodwin and myself? And buying time, Wolf. I've 90,000 in small bills in that bag there, plus a plane ticket to Buenos Aires. I've got a silencer on this gun. If you two aren't found till tomorrow morning, I'll be out of the country before they start looking for me. You don't think the police will put out an alarm for you when they find the body of Helen Tunis? Goodwin left it to you to report that, remember? Let's remind ourselves to be prompter on reporting deaths, Archie. Starting with our own, Mr. Wolf. Glad you can take it that way, Goodwin. You actually think you can knock the two of us off? I'm about to find out, Goodwin. One moment, McLean. You've never been a real gambler. You know that. With marked cards, of course. But you're not the man to face a sure loss now. A sure loss? The loss of your life. Within seconds after you try to pull that trigger. I told you I had a silencer. You think anyone will hear the shots? There'll be more shots than you count on. My hand's on a pistol now in this drawer, and Mr. Goodwin has a thirty-eight in his shoulder holster. You can't shoot through the desk, and Goodwin won't get a chance to draw. You're an intelligent man, McLean. Vicious, but intelligent. May I describe the certainty of your immediate death if you don't throw that pistol on the desk and give yourself up? There are two of you, I know that, but... McLean, you must be aware that in the actual fact, exceedingly few men are killed instantly by a single shot, even from a pistol of heavy caliber. The one you hold is a thirty-two, And it's a forty-five in that drawer, McLean. I assure you, McLean, that neither of us will surrender the weapons we have. Should you start shooting, we'll both do our best to draw and keep firing till you're dead. You're stalling, Wolf. What have I got to lose by trying for you both now? Your life? I'll correct that. The loss of some six or eight weeks of your life, possibly months. Whatever the time necessary to bring you to trial and to convict you and execute you for the murders you've committed. Suppose I cancel you out and then take my chances with Goodwin. A better choice, but still a dubious one. I'm fat, exceedingly fat. And for perhaps the first time in my life, I'm thoroughly grateful for that. My bulk affects the calculation, McLean. McLean, you could pull off all seven shots and still not hit Mr. Wolf where it counts. You have to start, you better start on me. You exaggerate, Archie, and I thank you for the gallantry of it. No, it's quite likely that with two or three shots, McLean might well dispose of me, but not uh, with your first shot, McLean, and we'll not permit you many more than your first. Look, if I promise to do no more than tie you two up to give me my head start, will you toss in your guns? Of course not. Do I speak for us both, Archie? Check. I say let's start it now. Wolf, if I give you half of what's in that bag, would you forget these admissions I've made and help on my defense? I've told you I refuse to bargain. I think that I should count five. 
If your weapon hasn't been tossed on the desk by then, I'll do my best to get my pistol into action. Are you in the court, Archie? Start counting. Wait a minute, Mr. Wolf. One. If I trade half that bag for no shooting and one hour's start, no tying up, just your promise that... Two. All the bag for a half hour start, 90,000. Three. Are you ready, Archie? All set, sir. Uh, except if you're the one who walks out of this, call up every number in my little red book, huh? And tell each girl I was thinking of her just before you got the five. Agreed. I resume four. Okay. You win. Holy sweet Susan, it worked. It worked. Uh, commandable choice, McLean, for us at least. You see, I'm afraid I forgot to mention one slight factor which might have operated in your favor. What's that, boss? I must confess, Archie, that my forty-five is in the upstairs den where I took it to oil it last night. Holy cow, you didn't have a gun? Why, you dirty... Take it easy, McLean, I've really got one. Oh, by the way, Mr. Wolf, signal's off on those women, huh? When my heart gets back down out of my throat, I'll call them myself. I'll trouble you for a beer first, Archie. And then if you'll be good enough to phone Inspector Kramer, you can bid him pick up his triple murderer. The one-time cutter of cards. Fortunately for us, who's never been a real gambler. <laughs> ah, you have been listening to The New Adventures of Nero Wolf, starring Sidney Greenstreet. Tonight's transcribed story was based on the characters created by Rex Stout. This is an Edwin Fadiman program produced and directed by J. Donald Wilson. In the cast were Gerald Moore as Archie Goodwin and Lorraine Carter... Bill Johnstone, Howard McNear, Herb Butterfield, and Vic Rodman. Next week, at this same time, Nero Wolfe and Archie will bring you The Case of the Phantom Fingers. Don Stanley speaking. Stay tuned for Our Miss Brooks, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for a trip to Madison High to hear what's up with everyone's favorite English teacher, Connie Brooks, played to perfection by Eve Arden. Tonight's program... Going Skiing was first aired in 1951. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks, under the direction of Al Lewis. Well, in many of these United States, winter seems to have settled down for a protracted stay. Our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School, doesn't seem to mind. No, indeed, I do enjoy the winter season. There are so many activities to engage in. Ice skating, sleigh riding, building snowmen. Of course, the last snowman I built melted after one dance, but while we're on the... <laughs> while we're on the subject of snowmen, I was speaking to my landlady just last Friday morning about one Philip Boynton. It seems the bashful biologist had come out of his turtleneck sweater long enough to invite me to Madison's annual matinee snowball dance. 
That's wonderful, Connie. And I just know you'll be the belle of the ball this afternoon. <laughs> that outfit is so colorful and wintry looking. Especially those lovely blue socks. I haven't put on my socks yet. <laughs> Maybe we ought to turn the heat up, Mrs. Davis. Of course, dear. But I'm crazy about that sweater. And the earrings are divine, even though they are a bit large. These are not earrings, Mrs. Davis. They happen to be earmuffs. <laughs> I'm just wearing them a little lower than usual. You see, I have what is known in medical circles as cold lobes. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Oh, it's nothing to worry about. I just don't want my blue feet to get jealous. I'll put my socks and shoes on right now. I brought them in with me. Yes, you better get ready, Connie. Walter Denton will be here to pick you up any minute. But, uh, while we're waiting, you still haven't told me how you got Mr. Boynton to ask you to the dance. It wasn't easy, Mrs. Davis. I started my campaign weeks ago. First of all, I played hard to get for two days. And then? And then I... Then I played Available Jones for three. <laughs> After that, I changed my lipstick four times and used six different brands of perfume in as many days. And then? Then I bought two tickets to the dance and invited him. <laughs> but it should be fun. Oh, that's Walter now. Coming, Walter! See you tonight, Mrs. Davis. Good morning, Walter. Greetings, good fairy of wintertime. How oh, your warmth and beauty bring cheery comfort to this frigid, icicle-ridden chariot. Careful, Walter, you're fogging up the windshield. <laughs> your outfit's a knockout, Miss Brooks. Something new's been added, hasn't it? What do you mean? Those large woolen earrings. <laughs> These are earmuffs, cold lobes. Open your door. Yes, ma'am. I think it only fair to call it to your attention, Miss Brooks, but you may not be so comfortable on your way to school today. You see, I... Ouch! Brought my skis with me. <laughs> if you hadn't called it to my attention, I never would have noticed them. Anything broken? No. Fortunately, this woolen skirt doesn't splinter easily. <laughs> well, let's get going. Why don't you put these skis in the back of the car, Walter? Oh, it's not big enough. Oh. Just hold them on your lap, Miss Brooks. That's not big enough either. <laughs> Here, I'll stand them up on the floor between us. Oh, no, that won't work. You've got the top on today. Oh, just stick them through the hole in the top. <laughs> what hole? Grab the wheel a minute. I'll show you. <laughs> that hole right there. Perfect fit. <laughs> what is this metal contraption in the center of the skis, Walter? Oh, that is my own invention, Miss Brooks. I call it the Denton Claw. It's guaranteed to keep your skis on no matter what. Really? Yes, not only that, but it's designed to keep your skis in perfect position regardless of what you're doing with your feet. <laughs> Suppose you're crushing grapes. <laughs> matter, Miss Brooks. Oh, this is a great contraption. I'm going to try it out this afternoon on the big hill back of school. But aren't you going to the snowball dance in the gym today? Oh, sure. Yeah, but a bunch of us kids are going to go skiing for an hour before the dance. Say, maybe you'd like to come along, Miss Brooks. Not me, Walter. I've never been on a pair of skis, and I'm perfectly contented to keep it that way. You don't know what you're missing, Miss Brooks. 
There's nothing like sailing down those snowy slopes and taking a crack at some Christies and stems. There'll be no Christies on my stems. <laughs> but it's a wonderful sport, and the exercise is great for you. Ah, oh, you ought to see those kids after a half hour on that ski run. Their eyes are glowing and their faces are red and tingling. And that's not all. <laughs> Noses are red, too. <laughs> yep, that's all I'd need. Why, with my blue earlobes and a red nose, I'd look like somebody stuck a flag in the snow. <laughs> Good morning, Mr. Boynton. All set for the dance this afternoon? Oh, yes, indeed, Miss Brooks. I see you're all ready for it, too. It's a very interesting outfit you're wearing. I'm especially fond of that winter gypsy motif. Winter gypsy motif? Yes, those large woolen earrings. Earmuffs, cold lobes. We've got a few minutes before class, Mr. Boynton. Do you mind if I sit down for a little chat? Well, not at all, but be careful where you sit. I brought... Ouch! ...my skis to school today. Thanks, Mr. Boynton. That's a very good tip. The second one I received today. Here, stand them in a corner. All right. You see, there's going to be a little time before the dance begins, so I thought I'd go over to the big hill behind school this afternoon and do a little sheing. Sheing. Oh, there are other pronunciations, I suppose, but in England and Norway, sheing is considered most acceptable. Under the proper conditions, you can't knock it anywhere. <laughs> By the way, Miss Brooks, are you interested in the sport? Oh, quite a bit, Mr. Boynton. Except that I've always called it heeing. I mean... <laughs> called it skiing. Well, skiing or sheing, I'm going out on the hill after school. Would you like to come along with me? Certainly. Uh, certainly. <laughs> if there's one thing I'm just crazy to do, it's to sail down that snowy expanse and try out my Christies and Stemmies. <laughs> of course, I haven't had much of an opportunity to ski since coming to Madison, but I know it'll all come back to me in a flash. Oh, I see you've got the poles that help you keep your balance. Just what do you call those poles, Mr. Boynton? Just poles. And what about those metal discs near the bottom? What are they called? They're just called metal discs. <laughs> I've got this thing down pat, haven't I? <laughs> well, if you'll excuse me now, I'm going to dig up a pair of skis for this afternoon. I don't have a pair of my own. Well, I don't have any extra ones. Do you think you can borrow some, Miss Brooks? Don't worry, Mr. Boynton. I'll be out on that hill with you this afternoon if I have to get a long splinter in each foot. <laughs> Walter, that's why I asked you to stay after class. You've just got to lend me those skis today. Hey, but, Miss Brooks, I spent my whole study period polishing them up. I mean, I haven't even tried these out myself yet. But, Walter, I was looking for you, Walter. Not... Oh, hi, Miss Brooks. Hello, Harriet. Hi, Harriet. Well, what's wrong? You two having a beef? Not a whole beef, Harriet, just a small fillet. <laughs> to convince him to lend me his skis just for this afternoon. Mr. Boynton's going to give me a refresher course. Refresher course? But you said you never skied in your life. That should make it all the more refreshing. <laughs> of course, 
Walter will lend them to you, Miss Brooks. But, Harriet, we were going out to the hill and... The hill won't disappear, Walter, and neither will the snow. We'll get to the dance earlier this way. Yeah, but... Walter, dear, which is more romantic? Racing up and down a hill on a pair of sticks or holding me close in your arms doing the mambo-jambo? <laughs> the skis are yours, Miss Brooks. <laughs> Good. Now, show me how to put these things on so I'll look like I practically know what I'm doing this afternoon. Uh, okay, Miss Brooks. Well, with the new Denton claw, it's relatively simple. Uh, just slip your feet through these metal toe plates. Uh, that's right. Now, we just snap this cable around your heel. Is this your new invention, Walter? Uh, this is it, Harriet. Uh, now, the other cable. There. How do they feel? Real cozy. I'll just take a few steps and see if I can remain standing. feel all right to me. Now, help me get them off, Walter. I've got another class in a few minutes. Oh, here. Sit down, Miss Brooks. Thanks, Harriet. Now, we just grab the binding here, hold the cable thusly, and give it a gentle tug and presto. (laughs) That's funny. I'll try it again. Take hold of the binding here, give the cable a yank here, and presto. I remembered leaving myself a notation about one detail that had to be perfected. What's that? A way to get them off. (laughs) You mean you can't get them off Miss Brooks' feet? Now, calm down, everybody. Don't get panicky. We'll get them off by and by. By and by? Look, Walter, while we're waiting for by and by to get here, there's something you've just got to do so I won't appear ridiculous in this classroom. What's that, Miss Brooks? Cut a hole in the roof and let some snow in. Brush your teeth with Colgate. Colgate Dental Cream, it cleans your breath. What a toothpaste. What it cleans your teeth. Colgate toothpaste. Cleans your breath. What a toothpaste. What it cleans your teeth. Colgate Dental Cream cleans your breath while it cleans your teeth. And the Colgate way stops tooth decay best. Yes, the Colgate way is the most thoroughly proved and accepted home method of oral hygiene known today. Over two years' research showed brushing teeth right after eating with Colgate Dental Cream helped stop more decay for more people than ever before reported in dentifrice history. The Colgate way stopped tooth decay best. No other dentifrice, ammoniated or not, offers such conclusive proof. And you should know that Colgate's, while not mentioned by name, was the only toothpaste used in the research on tooth decay recently reported in Reader's Digest. So always follow the Colgate way to clean your breath while you clean your teeth. And stop tooth decay best. Brush your teeth with Colgate. Colgate Dental Cream, it cleans your breath. What a toothpaste. What it cleans your teeth. And the Colgate way stops tooth decay best. Well, the American teacher has been called upon to face many a crisis, 
And I refused to let the fact that my ankles were locked to a pair of skis by the Denton claw phase me one bit. When it came time for me to conduct my class, I merely smiled, rose from my desk, and with my customary dignity and poise, stepped lightly to the blackboard. all of you. What's the matter with you kids, anyhow? Don't you think it's cold enough in this room for skis? <laughs> now, look at the blackboard, please. In order to find the adjunct phrase in the sentence on the board, I shall break it down into its component parts. Now, where's that chalk? Oh, I have some on my desk. One moment, class. Here it is. Miss Brooks, I've got to talk to you for a minute. I've got good news. Kindly pick up your books, class. Yes, Harris? What do you want us to do with our books, Miss Brooks? I want you to put your noses in them. Oh. Also, your mouths. I couldn't leave you here marooned in this predicament, Miss Brooks. So guess what I brought for you? A St. Bernard with a keg of arsenic? <laughs> no. No, I borrowed a hacksaw from a machine shop. I'll get those skis off you in no time. Now? Sure. While the class is busy reading, I'll just slide under your desk, leap at your imprisoned puppies, and hack away. <laughs> Good a time as any, I guess. But be careful with that saw, Walter. Remember, my ankle bone is connected to the shin bone. <laughs> Here I go, Miss Brooks. Eh. I've got to get these leather thongs first. They're even tougher than the wire cable. I'll work as fast as I can, though. I'd hate for Mr. Conklin to catch it with these slats on. Oh, that's a charming thought. Especially when I recall what a bug our beloved principal is on the personal appearance of the faculty. All that has to happen now... At ease, class. Can't happen. Mr. Conklin. Don't bother to get up, Miss Brooks. Don't worry. I mean, this is quite a surprise, sir. I didn't expect you in my room this morning. Ouch! Does my visit pain you so severely, Miss Brooks? Oh, no, sir. On the contrary. Every time I see your smiling face, I... Ouch! Forgive me, Mr. Conklin, a bit of a headache. You certainly are. <laughs> but, Miss Brooks, if I may... Of course you may, Mr. Conklin. You may return to this classroom any time you wish. Well, goodbye. It's been nice to have seen... Oops! Oh, you dropped your chalk under your desk, Miss Brooks. Let me get it for you. No, no, thank you. I've, I've already got it. See? Amazing. It fell to the floor and you got it without even bending over. <laughs> My foot handed it to me. I don't know what's wrong with you this morning, Miss Brooks, but I came in to address your class, and with your permission, I'll do so. Permission granted, sir. Very granted. Go right ahead, Mr. Conklin. <clears throat> and now then, most of you are aware of the fact that by dint of much argument and persuasion, I recently prevailed upon the Board of Education to appropriate $1,000 for the purpose of re-sanding and completely refinishing the floors throughout this building and in our gymnasium. This work has been done and done well. Yet only moments ago in the hallway, in flagrant violation of my posted notice to preserve the school floors, I discovered the soggy prints of a pair of skis. <laughs> Something in your throat, Miss Brooks? Just my heart. Please continue, Mr. Conklin. Well, I don't like to have to resort to these methods, but I must ask all you students to swing your feet into the aisles, and I will pass among you to inspect them. I'll take this row first. Right over here. Now, quiet, class. Whatever you do, don't talk. This file isn't very sharp, Miss Brooks. Then for heaven's sake, start biting, Walter. I'll do my best. I'm not down here playing this little piggy, you know. Stop talking and gnaw. 
<laughs> the guilty one doesn't seem to be in this class, Miss Brooks. Have uh, you looked in the cloakroom? Believe me, the skis aren't in the cloakroom, sir. I wish they were, but they're not. That is, if you have to go back to your office uh, now... You'll have another class coming in shortly, Miss Brooks. I'll wait for them. Meanwhile, carry on with this one. But it's quite a boring lesson today, Mr. Conklin. You see, I was about to tell my class which is the adjunct phrase on the blackboard. Well, and... Now, don't merely tell them, Miss Brooks. They'll retain it much better if you go to the blackboard and check it out. Go to the blackboard? <laughs> yes, Miss Brooks. And at once? At once? <laughs> yes, Miss Brooks. Now, march! Very well. <laughs> There, the phrase is checked off. Well, that's more like it. And I must say, you walk very gracefully in those skis you're wearing. <laughs> but now that you've checked off the adjunct phrase, Miss Brooks, it seems to me that you ought to discuss all the component parts of the sentence, such as prepositions, adjectives, verbs, ad... Those skis you're wearing! <laughs> I am waiting, Miss Brooks. Drag those warped planks out from under that desk of yours and bring them here. But, Mr. Conklin, I... Ouch! I, I can't imagine I am what... waiting, Miss Brooks. Very well, sir. Here I am. See, I'm not wearing skis. No, no, you're not. But would you mind telling me, nature girl, why you're conducting this class in your bare feet? <laughs> trying to preserve the floors, Mr. Conklin. I just kicked my shoes off under the desk. I'll just have a look under that desk. But there's nothing down there but Out shoes. Out of my way, I'll look for myself. Miss Brooks is right. There's nothing down here but us shoes. <laughs> just as I suspected. Walter Denton, a hacksaw, and the skis. It's the old eternal triangle. Hand <laughs> me the skis, Walter. I'll deal with you both in my office after school. And now, Miss Brooks, hand those skis over to me. Here you are, Mr. Conklin. You seem to have broken my glasses, Miss Brooks. Please, Mr. Conklin, you know I didn't mean it. You never do. You know, Miss Brooks, for most people, skis are synonymous with healthful, invigorating exercise. But in your position, somehow they become a lethal weapon. I never want to see a pair on or near you again, is that clear? Yes, sir, but about your glasses, and I... Knowing I might make contact with you today, I brought my extra pair along. <laughs> if you just step back a pace or two, I'll slip them on. Ah, there. Now, if you'll be good enough to reach back and hand me the other ski. The other one? Mm -hmm. Oh, yes, here you are. <laughs> oh, what have I done? Oh, I'm, I'm terribly upset, Mr. Conklin. You must be. You only broke a window this time. <laughs> Not very good aim for you. I still have my glasses. Yes, sir. And I still have the ski you asked for. Here it is, Mr. Conklin. <laughs> good shot, girl. The summit of the old ski hill is just up ahead, Miss Brooks. I wish we could have started earlier. It's getting pretty nippy out. The delay was unavoidable, Mr. Boynton. Right after school, Mr. Conklin summoned Walter Denton and me to a meeting in his office. 
You know how strict he is about parliamentary procedure. Oh, yes, I do. We had the floor for over an hour. You and Walter? Yes, he waxed and I polished. <laughs> but that's all behind us now. Yes, let's forget about school and discipline. Well, this is the summit. We'll take off from here. You'll take off from here. I'm just a spectator. I don't even have any skis. Oh, I know, but we'll share mine. Ladies first, Miss Brooks. Here, I'll slip them on for you. Oh, no, please. I wouldn't think of it. Oh, nonsense. Give me your right foot first, Miss Brooks. No, Mr. Boynton. Now, just lean down, lay your head close to mine, and put your arms around my shoulders. Well, if you're going to bribe me... <laughs> there. There's one. And there's the other. All set to take off, Miss Brooks. Wait. It looks much different from the top than it did from below. Behind, Mr. Boynton! Oh, it's Mr. Conklin. Oh, no, I've got to work fast. Ski high, Mr. Conklin! Uh, why are you covering your skis with snow, Miss Brooks? I'll explain later, Mr. Boynton. They're pretty well hidden now. Ah, hello, Boynton. What a delightful winter's day. Hello, Mr. Conklin. Turned pretty raw, didn't it? <laughs> Well, Miss Brooks, how have you been behaving yourself since I saw you last two pair of glasses ago? Just fine, Mr. Conklin. Oh, I notice you don't have your skis on, Mr. Conklin. Aren't you going to take advantage of the snow today? Me? Get on a pair of skis with my blood pressure? No, thank you. I just came up to look at the scenery and get a breath of fresh air before plunging into the fetid atmosphere of that dance in the gym. You make it sound like fun. Oh, the view's lovely from here, all right. But you'll have to step a bit closer to the edge of the hill, Mr. Conklin, if you really want to get a bird's-eye view. Uh, that, Mr. Boynton, is for the birds. <laughs> I'll, uh... I'll just stand here behind Miss Brooks and take a peek over her shoulder. Gad, it looks like a terrifying descent. Oh, there's nothing to it, sir. Now, now watch how Miss Brooks sails down. I'll just give you a flying start, Miss Brooks. Mr. Boynton! Here you go. Oh, no! Where did that wind come from? You're doing fine, Miss Brooks. Just watch out for those rocks. Rocks? Where are the brakes on these things? You can bear now. Steady, Miss Brooks. Slow down a bit. Slow down. You're going too fast. I can't slow down. Bear left, Miss Brooks. Past that gully. Look out. You're headed right for that big tree. Look out for that tree. It's the only way I can... Oh, if I can just grab one of the branches. Here goes. Ooh. Oh. Well, that did it, thank heaven. What an experience. Mind if I get off now? know there was something in back of me? You did. Certainly. But the way I was stooped over, I thought it was me. (laughs) 
Martin as our Miss Brooks returns in just a moment. But first... You get smoother, more comfortable, comfortable shaves By shaving the palm olive priceless way Get smoother, more comfortable, comfortable shaves The palm olive priceless way Hey, that's a fact, men. You can get smoother, yes, more comfortable shaves The palm olive brushless shaving cream way Just rub velvet smooth palm olive brushless into your beard You'll find it wilts the toughest whiskers, actually protects your skin by providing a soft film that floats your razor's cutting edge. Remember, over 1,200 men tested the Palmolive Brushless Shaving Cream Way following directions on the package. And no matter how they shaved before, three out of four reported beards easier to cut, less razor pull, smoother, more comfortable, yes, more comfortable shaves. So men, try the Palmolive Brushless Way yourself. Even in cold or hard water, you get a close, clean shave. And a smoother, more comfortable, yes, a more comfortable shave. You get smoother, more comfortable, comfortable shave. The Palmolive Brushless Way. Next time you shave, try the Palmolive Brushless Shaving Cream Way. And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, Mr. Conklin soon followed his gradually descending blood pressure down the side of the hill. And shortly afterwards, Mr. Boynton and I approached the gym. You did very well on those skis I loaned you, Miss Brooks. I'm still alive, if that's what you mean. But I was rather surprised that they didn't slip off when I hit the tree. Well, you've got to give Walter credit. That invention of his really does the job. What? You mean he put the denim claw on your skis, too? Certainly. Well, I see the band's getting ready to play a number. May I have this dance, Miss Brooks? I wouldn't be without it. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, we wrap up the week with Broadway is My Beat, followed by Life with Luigi. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell, Paul Stringer, and Justin Eacock for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.